Hi, this is Susan Nethercote and welcome to episode 12 of the Studio Insider Art Podcast. In this episode, I share my systems for digitally storing images of my work with some tried and tested tools for making this process easier. Laura and I also talk about naming paintings and collections. I've also started something this month that's super fun and totally free and you can jump on board at any time. For the month of February 2020, I'm painting daily and documenting my process under the hashtag painting as a practice and you guys are all invited to do the same. There's already a bunch of beautiful people that have jumped on board for this one. This is what I like to call a soft challenge and it's really about just carving out a small amount of time each day for creative play. And you can choose to do it daily or just in whatever rhythm fits your life. This is just about evolving a regular art practice that feeds your creativity. To learn more, just click the link in the show notes or check out my video post at susannethercote.com forward slash blog. I hope you enjoy the episode. In these episodes, I'll bring you deep inside my art studio practice and how I run my business as a professional artist. I'll be sharing loads of useful information about my tools, my materials, and of course, my mindset. But most of all, this podcast is about the ups and downs in this rather crazy life as a professional artist. So welcome inside my studio. I hope my journey can help you feel a bit more at home in your own. In this first season of the podcast, I'll be coaching my good friend and studio assistant Laura Day through the process of preparing for her first solo exhibition. We talk about everything from how to finish paintings and a cohesive body of work, to finding your own style, to wrestling with all those big emotions that come along with putting your art out there into the world. There is something here in this first season for every emerging artist. Hey Laura. Hey Suze. How you going? Yeah, good. Yourself? I'm good, thanks. How's things going in your world of getting ready for the exhibition? It's so close. I know it is. It's really close and I've got some really great high quality photographs of my work now, but I wanted to pick your brains about uh, properly storing my files and keeping records of my work. Yes. Super nerdy questions. I, I love them. No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you're really good. You're quite organised, and you ha- you seem to have been quite organised from the start because I get to see the back end of your business. So I thought it would be great for you to impart some wisdom. Sure, I love this topic so much. It makes me really excited. Firstly, I have to say I can't take credit for the way that I organise all of my files because I learned it from Lisa Congdon's book which is Art Inc. I think Mm. I might have referred to it earlier on the podcast. Mm. And I remember reading that book way back at the start of my art. And I was so grateful I did because she talked about really practical things like you might think that you don't have much work now and why should I keep good records of it? But before you know it, you'll have hundreds of pieces and someone will contact you for an image of something and then you won't know where it is. Mm. So she said, do yourself a favor from the very start Mm -hmm. and keep really good records 
records and she actually talks about how she stores files in that book so you Mm -hmm. can go and refer to that if that's something you want to do but I can basically just talk about it now Mm. because I've pretty much used a similar structure to her to what she suggests so full credit to Lisa Condon so uh like you I've always kept photographic records of varying qualities I will add Mm -hmm. so you know way Mm -hmm. back in the beginning it was simply iPhone, which, you know, not terrible, wasn't that great back then when I, you know, compared to the kind of resolution you can get now with Mm. iPhones. So a lot of my earlier pieces, that's all I have. They're mostly pretty poorly lit. I mean, you always learn the hard way with photography, Mm. don't you, about how to take good photos, Mm -hmm. but at least I've got records. And so the way that I have usually always identified my work is by title. So each painting has a title and Mm -hmm. how I arrive at that title is completely random, (laughs) but I often do work in series of work. So to keep things simple, I'll often have a theme that I'm working around that's encapsulated in a title and they'll be like number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And I'll often use Roman numerals for my numbering rather than actual numbers. Yeah. Only because that seemed really elegant to me at the Mm -hmm. time and now that I'm up to some series like 47 (laughs) I'm sure that when you're on the computer working (laughs) you're cursing me um but we and in the titles of the files I do actually we we put this the number instead of the the Roman numeral but I I like that on the written on the painting yeah so the way I do it is I keep everything stored by year I actually keep I keep everything in my Dropbox rather than an actual, well, I have both. I back up my Dropbox on a hard drive, but we keep our ongoing records in Dropbox simply Mm -hmm. because you and I are often working on different machines. And Mm -hmm. also I travel quite a bit. So it means that I can access those files from anywhere apart from the huge, huge ones, which can't live on even on Dropbox. But I'll talk a bit more about that later. So I have my Artmaster file and then I have each year as a file and within that I'll have the title of each of the works the first piece of the title is the type of work it is the medium so yes. it'll either be a canvas or paper yeah or whatever it is that you're using so mm-hmm. that is the first bit and then a dash and then the title mm-hmm. and then the number if that's there and so that will be in each year and within that folder I'll keep all of the images I'll keep pretty much anything in relation to that image yeah mm. and we've got styled interior images That's in, right. in so, a specific yeah. so folder we'll have for a, each artwork yeah and as we've gone on and we've we've become much better with the quality of the photographs that we use. So most of my work now travels to a wonderful company in Melbourne called Prism Imaging and they do all of our fine art printing, but we also send the the smaller work to them to be scanned and larger work to them to be professionally photographed. Mm. So they're incredibly high resolution. Mm. And part of the reason that I do that is because I license my work and I need very high quality images and that has become a bigger and bigger part of my business as time has gone on. Mm -hmm. But also because we started producing prints, our own Mm. print range, and learned very fast that most of the files we had that were even, they were DSLR, they were Mm. still really, we thought they were huge files. But when we took them to the printer, they're like, no, that's not going to produce a good print. So that's Mm. in itself has been a huge learning curve. So we now have within those folders, within the title, you'll have 
have a folder that's DSLR photos, you'll have a folder that's just iPhone snaps because we often just use those for social media posts. We'll also have an interior mock-up, so whether we have photoshopped it into a stock image that we've bought or else we actually have our own stock images that we've shot on mm. site here in my home our own brand and stock photography now yeah um but yeah we will photoshop those high-res images into those interiors to display on the website and so that's pretty much how the folders all work and so those larger files that are for printing mm-hmm. where do you keep them oh they live on a hard drive a separate hard drive so they are too large to they just take up all of my dropbox so i have a couple of i actually run two backups from my computer mm-hmm. my main computer and one of them has a, just a full backup of the computer and the other one has a full backup that i do every couple of months i actually physically back up everything in my dropbox mm-hmm. just simply because i'm cautious um, I'm not suggesting anyone needs to do that. That's just sort of, I, I just don't want to risk anything. Mm. And I also keep the files that come from Prism Imaging that do all of our photography. Mm. I keep the files on there because I don't want them taking up all of the memory on my computer. And that happens pretty fast when there is, you know, some of those images are sort of 250, 300 megabyte. They're huge. So yeah, so that's, that's what we worked out. That's what I've I've done from the beginning. And it's been a really good system that's worked really well. And I actually remember the first time I really set it up properly was in, I sort of started fiddling around with it before my first exhibition, Mm. but that was when I really paid attention to it. And Mm -hmm. I've really stuck to that. And Mm. I can pretty much go back probably about six years now and see that even that very early work is recorded there and it's Mm. so funny to look back (laughs) at some of that work yeah but so it's amazing how many requests I've had come through from different art directors over time you know they've seen something that's been on Pinterest for years Mm. and come back to me and said we want to put this on a magazine or wherever it's from and it's something that I can always go back through that system and find that image and get it to them and we've been well increasingly diligent over time at making sure we've got very high quality photos of things for that reason so it's been really worth my while doing that and it's been an excellent investment in my yeah in my art career hi there just dropping in with a very special invitation if you've ever dreamed of packing your bags and running away to paint in paris then i'm just about to make your dreams come true In May 2020, I'll be guiding 12 beautiful creative souls through some of the finest museums in the world and teaching my signature floral and botanical abstract styles of painting in our very own Paris Art Studio. This is one retreat not to miss, and there are still a few spots left. Go to susannethercottestudio.com forward slash retreats to find out more. Au revoir. Yeah, I think I'm going to go out and get a good hard drive. I think that would be like really important at this stage, like Absolutely. the starting stage. To set and if you're getting all... one, please get two. Two. <laughs> Maybe I need two. Okay. I think we should all have a backup of a backup, especially when we're talking about the records of your entire art. That's partly why I keep all my files on Dropbox and a hard drive. Because I have a Mac, I run a time machine on my computer on the other hard drive. So 
that technically actually isn't backing up my photos because I keep my photo library on a different, on an external hard drive now. So it's not using up on my computer memory. And these are all things to keep in mind. Like if you're all of a sudden storing huge amounts of photos and you're start storing them on your computer's hard drive, mm. and then you're trying to use programs like Photoshop that require a lot of yeah. operating memory. Yeah you're going to have problems and your machine's going to run slow. So mm. these are all the things, the nerdy things we've learned over time. Shall we dig into the interior mock-ups and, like, yeah. your process around that? And, like, in terms of, like, a sales and marketing mm-hmm. perspective, putting those sorts of images on your website and your Instagram, like, how that works for you and um, what you found along your journey works best? Oh, it's so valuable. When you think about that process – you're really making it easy for people to picture your art in uh, their environment. Mm. That's really what the motivation for that is. And I noticed a huge leap in the amount of sales I was making, particularly online uh, and through Instagram when I started doing the interior mock-ups of my work. It just makes it easy for people. It's similar to framing work. You know, you're making it easier for people. So that's just become part of our standard routine. And also from the perspective of styling a photo shoot, for example, it's easy to style a scene once and then Photoshop different images into that frame Mm. than it is to just continually be taking live photos. It's nice to do that if you've got time, but Mm. if you're dealing with like a big series of work, it it can be a huge time saver as well. Yeah, and it gives um, people sort of like a sense of scale and that sort of thing as well. Although, you know, when you are doing it in Photoshop, it's not always like 100%. It's never exact. And we always write on the website, don't we? It's like the the mock-up is not to scale. Yes, and we do try to not push things into unrealistic, realms as Mm. well in terms of our scale yeah yeah yeah. so would you suggest that people maybe brush up on their photoshop skills when you're doing it yourself and starting out i guess like you're sort of like hacking away at sort of everything aren't you and doing it all yourself well i think photoshop is really something well lightroom and photoshop i mean we both have a love-hate relationship with lightroom (laughs) which is an incredibly useful program. Look, I think it really depends on where people are at as well and what they're trying to do with selling their art. I guess for us, because I'm licensing my work, and I say us because you work with me in the studio and this stuff, it's, you know, having a baseline of those skills has been really, really important. I think to have a few skills like learning how to do basic editing in Lightroom because Lightroom can do the tilting and like you can really square off paintings very well and do things in that program that you can't do in Photoshop, which, you know, which is the reason we learned it really, wasn't it? Mm. It's very useful. And also the other skill to really learn in Photoshop would be how to put a work of art in an interior setting, which is something that I'll be demonstrating in my e-course that I'll be doing in on business, on mm. a business e-course, which is up and coming. So they're all really important skills. Mm. Yeah. And just another little practical thing, when you have a high quality image and then when you're saving it, like sort of reducing the file size. And I think what the process that you use is emailing that smaller JPEG to yourself. So then you can post it on Instagram too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So reducing, yeah, so 
Where that really comes into play is making sure you don't have huge images on your website, actually. Because yeah. Instagram will take a photo, a high-res photo, and just oh, post it. Yeah. It so will. it's um, – but we do – that is true. I do email photos to myself when, <laughs> when I do a mock-up particularly. But where that's really important is on your website, not posting massive, huge photographic files on your website because it slows your whole website down. So learning what the specifications are for – at the particular website that you're running for to have a high res display without it taking up too much space mm. and saving your images at that level. And you can, there are apps that you can use that will instantly do that for you. We don't actually use them because we're already usually in Photoshop. So we just mm. resave them at go specs, but you can do that. There are simpler ways of doing that. Now, you've recently um, switched to Squarespace for your website. I did. Do they, or, does that automatically no. reduce the file size? No, it doesn't. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought that no, there was some sort of magic there. There is not. something that was suggested to us by someone that can do that, mm. but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, so it's like a little app and things. I might go on to asking you about another big question that I've had in the lead up to the exhibition which is another tricky question, just like the pricing question, I guess, is like naming your artworks and how you arrive at, at naming a work or even like a body of work. I guess I sort of had to sit in it for a little while and I was like really unsure around like what I wanted to convey and also just thinking about a sales and a marketing thing, naming work that sounds appealing and mm -hmm. things like that. So yeah. Some advice around that too. Well, I mean, again – that's a real long as a piece of string question. Like. <laughs> and it's such a good thing to think about because I, I think naming your work and creating a story through how you name your work and how you talk about your work is really important mm. and probably something that perhaps some artists don't pay a lot of attention to, but I think it's a huge part of it. And there's a lot of marketing opportunities in the way that you do name your work. One of the best examples that I have experienced the power of that is through some of the series that I've created that have been hugely popular. I have this series called Fantasy Floral, which was a French spelling of floral fantasy, which mm. came about a few years ago when I was just in a particularly French-influenced part of my life and mm. I organised a retreat in France and I, for a good couple of years, produced this series around this theme of a, of a floral fantasy, and it's, I think we're up to the 50s, are we? Yeah, some, In, somewhere along there it is. It's so, and that has been wonderful because it's kind of identified this huge group of work within mm. my body of work, which is kind of known in its own right, but it also has made it extremely easy for me to be able to not have to think of because <laughs> it's hard yeah Good names are hard it is hard so coming up with an overarching theme if you've got a particular body of work coming up with an overarching theme and seeing different ways that you can use that as part of the story that you're telling mm -hmm. can be really helpful I kind of have two, like when I look at my oeuvre, I kind of have two really distinct styles and one is the floral abstract style and the other is what I call botanical abstract. 
which I mean, essentially that's saying a very similar thing. But I came up with two different ways of saying that to differentiate between the two styles because they're so different. So anything floral in my really loose, um, drippy, floral, mm. abstracty world has the word floral in it. Mm-hmm. And anything that is that white masked out, really stylized type of painting that I do which I do with flowers but Mm -hmm. I call them botanical Mm. so I have floral abstract and botanical abstract I did that very deliberately because I was at that stage actually in my exhibition preparation process where I needed to write my artist statement Mm. and write about my work Mm -hmm. and start to make decisions about what my work was about and how was I going to articulate that so I just decided to say well, I do floral abstract, which is this style and described it, and I do botanical abstract, which is another type of abstraction that is different. And that's just stuck. And I don't actually recall seeing anywhere at any point in time the word floral abstract. I'm sure it was out there and I'm sure it's been used by people. Mm. But I know that I see it a heck of a lot more now. Yeah. Because I've talked about it a lot and I think other artists that work in that area have cottoned onto that and started Mm. using that. And so Mm. it's become a a descriptive word that I see quite frequently now. Mm. I don't want to claim that that's mine, but Mm. I definitely noticed that after I started using that extensively over a couple of years that it's, it's become something that's become like a really common terminology. But the point is... It's a good thing to look at your work and start to find ways of articulating your style and then forming names around that. Mm. So anything that falls into that botanical category will usually have the word botanical in it. And anything of mine that falls more into that floral category will Mm. have the word floral in it or flower. Mm. Not always. Mm. It can be particularly tricky, especially for abstract work, because you're not doing anything um, representational. So you can't pull like such descriptive terms. So it's more around like uh, what sort of mood or feeling or yeah, something that you want to portray. Well, you can totally do anything you want. There's no rules. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> You're the artist, I guess it's like just you. about finding a way to create some kind of consistency in the way you're naming things. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, the numbering system is super smart. And oh, it just makes life a lot easier. But it also helps people to understand how your work fits with your other work yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, because then they can um, clearly see that that's part of a series yes. and it's tied together. And um, the other thing I'll just mention that I do is if there's a particular body of work that I've created in relation to a specific time or environment in my life, like I often make series of work mm-hmm. when I travel. I don't necessarily finish that work when I travel, but I often will come back and complete it at home, but it's still of that time and that place. Mm. So it becomes like this little capsule collection of works that I'll name appropriately and will be representative of that time. And mm-hmm. and that just helps with marketing. Mm. It's all just trying to find ways to articulate how you communicate to people about your art. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I um, started looking up lists of feelings and a whole heap of different words and then I started a little document in my phone. Yeah, and then so it was just like all of these different names and moods and feelings and just different words that I've collected from different places 
And so that was sort of helpful because, you know, I had this blank slate and this whole series mm. of work that I had to find names for. And I just sort of worked through the list with like instinct and just sort of like feeling into whether that sit with the work. So I'm sort of nearly, nearly there. Like well, that's it's great. all sort of coming together. But yeah, I just thought that question might be helpful for people in a similar position absolutely because it's like how you name your work is this marvelous opportunity to get much deeper and thorough with the way you're marketing your work Mm. and it's so good that you're you're going at it from that such an elemental level of like going with words that resonate with you and because it is a tricky thing. Mm. It is a tricky thing. And mm. you can spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. One of the things that I evolved for commission work is I paint a lot of floral and botanical abstracts for people. They're gardens. So I name the painting after the person that commissioned it from me. It's so-and-so's um. garden. And that's what I write on the back of the painting. Yeah. There's all kinds of things you can come up with, but that mm. feels so right because it's theirs, you know, it's mm. painted for them, it's deeply personal, it's come from, you know, the brief has been created from what they have expressed to me that they want mm. and so it's their garden, it's yeah. forever their garden in the title. Yeah, that's so nice. Mm. I think that's all I've got for you today. I think that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much. It's been super helpful. My pleasure. We'll chat to you next time. Okay, bye. bye. See you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Studio Insider Art Podcast. You can always see more of my art over at susannethercliff.com. And if you're interested in learning from me or checking out the podcast notes, you can find those over on susannethercliffstudio.com. I love hearing your comments and feedback, so feel free to leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you're hearing, then why not take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at susan.nethercutt so I can say hi. Catch you next time.